John. Marilee. Good morning. Good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. <laughs> Wonderful. Here we no, go. I love this day. We're rolling. We're rolling. I love this day. I'm telling you. I love the first day of the year. Oh, why? Um, because it's a clean slate. Start over. I'm the furthest away from everything, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we still have, you know, a few holidays to hit us, but I just feel like, you know, my birthday's really far away. Christmas season's really far away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we're going into the spring, aren't we? Well, is Easter is the next big one? Is that mm, what's Valentine's Day. Well, Valentine's Day? Mm-hmm. When is that? February 14th. Huh. Mm-hmm. It's a All big right. day for us because that's my daughter's birthday. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Oh, good. I know. How appropriate, huh, that my daughter would be born on the day of love. <laughs> Yeah. God, all the things just match up, don't they? It's mm-hmm. weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I feel different today, for sure. Huh. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't, I don't want to... I mean, I don't want to appear disinterested, but I'm trying to figure out how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess I feel all right. I mean, you know, it's... This is Monday, right? Mm-hmm. I... I like to, yeah, I guess I, you know, I like to get rid of the, um, of the demands of the holidays. I think that the, the holidays make on, only I'm talking about myself now. It's okay. Because, um, you know, I feel, <laughs> I feel that they make unreasonable demands and, and that's really not fair because there's so many, make so many people happy, but they make a lot of people not happy too and so on. And, and, um, uh, it seems to be celebration seems to be a kind of a, almost a built-in flaw of the species, I think. Um, and then it's and then it's somehow codified with writing the flaws, so that then it becomes dogma. Um, let me see what would be a okay. Um, Let's forget about Christmas. I don't know. Um, so, the let's let's talk about territory for a minute. The um, the Israelites take over Canaan. Okay, uh, you know, in the in the in the in the early in the early days, the the you know the pre millennium BC days <laughs> mm-hmm. when they when they take over Canaan. So. Essentially, the Israelites take over Palestine uh, in Central Asia, right? They just take it over. Bob, it's us now. And then they justify that by saying it's the promised land. God gave it to us. And they write that down. It gets codified in this book called the Bible, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You are the promised land, and da-da-da-da-da. Well, if they had done a nickel's worth of research, they would of, the, of their own species, they'd figure out that kind of wording pisses off everybody that didn't get any of the land. And it's just the, it's the beginning of the wars. They go on and on mm-hmm. and on forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I, I'm going to bet you, I'll bet you a nickel to a dollar that God had nothing to do with that thing at all. And he was probably flabbergasted. And said, what are those guys doing? They're crazy. You know, right. I didn't give them that land for God's sakes. They took it. They're warriors. 
Mm-hmm. You know, somebody right. should throw a flood at him or something. Mm, yeah. So, you know, at the table, I mean, people have a way of, anyway, yep, good morning. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people have a way of what? Well, they just people have a way of 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 codifying, of justifying their their ill will. You right. Know, Absolutely. Ma- making it making it correct. I'm going to take over Palestine, kill the Canaans, and it's mine. And by God, God gave it to me. Therefore, it's okay. Right. Well, no, no, no. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. I don't give a shit what book, what book you write it in. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. God doesn't give you shit. You know, he may give you everything, but he doesn't, he doesn't stratify it so that you get more of this than they do. Everybody gets the same. Thing. Right. That's the ego taking over. That's the power. <laughs> yeah. God. Definitely. Anyway. Okay. All right. Well, happy 2024. Yeah, we started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I just, um, aside from that, I feel like in my own small little world, <laughs> and I'm not thinking about bigger things like that, I, I just, I don't know, I feel different. Um. Okay. Well, I mean, you've got, you're impacted by, <clears throat> by, by space time. Personally, I think you are. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe you're feeling something. Yeah. I mean, you would have to be, if, if you're feeling different, then it's got to be resonating with you somehow. Don't mm-hmm. you think? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Pardon me. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's moving. That means that that implies movement. Yeah. Because everything that affects everything has to move. That gets back to the five proofs of God. There has to be something that moves something. There always has to be a first cause. Mm-hmm. We're not too sure now that that really is true anymore. It's really interesting how science changes the story as it goes forward. But uh, I guess that's what's fun about it. Um, <laughs> it's possible now that the, that the world never didn't, that the earth, that the universe never didn't, didn't exist. Huh. Yeah. You know, and it's, I think the, thing that we overlook maybe is that as a is it our brain cap our our tuner our brain i call it our tuner is designed to comprehend certain things and it i don't think we're equipped at this point to comprehend that existence is infinite you know we we just got to believe there's a first cause i mean that goes back to thomas aquinas we got to believe there's something Something kicks something into position all the time. There's always a beginning of something. Mm -hmm. And now science, as it looks further and further into the deepest and deepest of space, is saying, well, wait a minute, maybe this always was after all. And then you got to sit down and think about that. That becomes Socratic. How do you think about no beginning? I mean, that blows Thomas Aquinas right out of the water. Yeah. God, why am I coming up with all this this morning? I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I, socket or something. <laughs> uh, I think it's just you're you know you're you're focused on the book well that's true enough i mean that's part of my part of reading part of you know discussing with my brain your life is all these things all mm-hmm. these anomalies mm-hmm. that happen and of course you're the cure which is going to be a lot of fun mm-hmm but maybe it's, that's why you're feeling funny. I honestly, I think so. To feel the cure. Um, I don't know. It's almost like the story 
the energy between me and the story are becoming one. Yeah. And it's affecting me. Even though I'm not, I'm not thinking about it. I'm not really thinking about the story. I'm thinking about how I feel. And, you know, everything I do is motivated by spirit. I just, you know, I can look back on my life going, yeah, I know why I did that. I know why I did that too. You know, literally like almost like an angel's pushing me from behind going, you're going to do this now. Okay. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. it's, you know, since 2020, it has totally been the opposite. And I feel like I've been pulled further and further away from, I don't know, just from being out there. It's like, I need to step back, step back, step back further, step back further. And uh, it's really interesting to watch how that how that's going. Yeah, and so, I, huh. you just you just tagged three years. Is that do you think that do you think that our meeting began the process of of the story? Mm. I mean, of, of the I, in other words, did I did our meeting trigger? Well, I mean, obviously it had to. So that's not a question. It had to because we met. Therefore, I start to write the book. Um, yeah, in but that time frame. to look back on 2020, I remember when it was actually 2019. 2019? I don't know, right around there, where I I just got this sudden like pullback, and I left Facebook. I just left, and I said, "I'm I'm leaving," <laughs> and I was gone for two years. I didn't. I just didn't do anything, and then. You know, no videos, nothing. No Marilee show. I just stopped. And then when I got the invitation to wisdom, I was like, oh, okay. You can hear my voice and, you know, I'll talk to people, whatever. And that's where you and I met. It was literally like I was redirected. And then, you know, it just, even like doing my show, you know, I was doing Cracking the Rich Code for a while there. And, um, I could just feel the negative energy from, I want to say the TV. It's not the TV, but maybe electronics, the camera. I don't know what it is. It just was, even now, it's so scratchy to me. Like, it's so hard for me to open my computer. I can't handle the negativity. Well, so that really is radiant energy that's apparently working against you in some way. I don't know. I feel I don't like really I'm, know. I'm being protected or something. You know, even like with my newsletters and things, I have no desire. I can't. I just can't even force myself. It's a weird kind of, you know, I don't know, like an energetic barrier. Well, I mean, you took a two-year hiatus before and then you came back. Why'd you come back? Um, let me think. I came back well because I was on wisdom, and then all right. So you essentially you got recruited back, yeah, to to the to the media to the to the to the instrument, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. I got recruited. Yeah, so I mean, we were we were both recruited. Isn't that interesting? We're both recruited. <laughs> and that's the time I'm trying to think back when I was asked to do to host the um, Cracking the Rich Code channel. 
you know, do all the interviews. So I was pulled in again, and that's what got me on the air again. Yeah. And then I was doing Equally Yoked for a while there. But the the platform, Blog Talk, it just, it just was not cutting it. I was having so many problems, you know, with people hearing me and this and that. I said, no, it's not even fun anymore. So I had to get off of there. And since then, I kept trying to find a new platform. And I'm going from here to there, here to there. And it just, I have not found a place called home. And uh, except, you know, here with you, it's, this is enjoyable. This I love. And it goes without yeah, a hitch. Yeah, yeah. You know, it goes think, without a hitch. I think it's, I th- yeah, and, and I mean, we are not, this is not a production company. We are just two people talking. Right. There's no, we don't even discuss or think nope. about production value. We just talk. Yeah, I was um, talking. Yeah, I was talking to somebody else about that yesterday. She goes, well, it, a podcast is a lot of work. I mean, people have to edit, and then what do you know what to th- talk about? And you have to do research, and you have to. I'm like, we don't do any of that stuff. We just call on the phone. <laughs> show up. Hey, hey, hi, it's me. You want to talk? Yeah, okay. You're right. <laughs> Turn it on. Right, and this is like uh, our yeah. intimate space. Which is. is comfortable to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm uncomfortable well, being in the in the spotlight. I just, I just don't seek it. You know. Well, I may share some of that. I I don't have any. Um, it's really funny. When I was in college, I I, I changed my I, my major was radio and television production management for a while. Yeah. And in that in that. And that was my early, my first college career. And, and, and in that, I, I had to become um, a media kind of a guy. You know, mm-hmm. we had a radio television station, da, 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 and had to do all this kind of stuff. Boy, I was really uneasy with that. Mm-hmm. I was just totally uneasy. And, and um, anyway, I, I got out of it because I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And um, I just didn't like... The on demand when the, when it goes when the on the air light goes on you you become a different person mm. and um, hmm. I didn't like changing around that way right <clears throat> and I didn't like the phoniness of it and I guess what I'm parroting what you're saying here is that there's nothing about what you and I say that isn't that's contrived it's just I mean you know we just say it how it is how we feel we're yeah. courteous. We're courteous, and we're respectful of one another. Um, but I think that's common sense. You know, that doesn't take any talent. It takes work. Well, you know, I mean, if you're a human being, it takes work. But Yeah, but, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, go on. Go on. Did I say something wrong? No, you didn't say something wrong at all. Uh, I, I, I'm not having <laughs> trouble spitting it out when I'm saying <laughs> I'm I'm thinking about what you're saying and you know it's not I don't know I feel like it's not mechanical I mean like I, no. like you know when you go on and you're interviewing someone right if you're trying to be respectful You've done a lot of that. I mean, you've done hundreds of those things. You know, you've been, I mean, you, you are, we, we get that. We know that. So, so what is it about that you don't like? About what? About interviewing people. 
Mm. Let's say you interview someone you have no interest in at all. Like, you know, I don't know. I don't know you, nor do I give a shit who you are. No. How's that interview go? No, it's not fair. <laughs> oh, gosh. That is not fair. Um, I don't know. I think uh, it's not that I don't enjoy it. I love talking to people. The two things that I love to do, one is to be creative. Leave me alone and let me create. That's how I feel. Number two is if I'm not interacting with somebody real, you know, then it's uh, it's less enjoyable for me. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I've been really thinking about this, you know, with my app that I'm going to launch here pretty soon. And I don't like the idea of talking to a faceless person. I don't like that. So for me, my joy comes from creating something that other people will enjoy. That's what I want to do. So if I can enjoy it and I create something that you can enjoy, then we both win. But if I have okay. to be forced to do something I don't want to do with the idea of benefiting somebody else for the end goal of money, I don't like that. Okay, I just, I so the process <laughs> is flawed in that case. It's just flawed. Yeah, I won't do it. There's no, there's, there's no motivation, and, and the end goal isn't what you want anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, money's of course fine in some ways, but um, no, the end goal, know, and it's not that that you know, of course, money makes the world go round. Yeah, okay, we all need money. That's not it. It's, the end goal is that it ends up just being that if I feel forced to behave and do a certain way because everybody does it that way. I don't like that. Well, I, I've gotten in trouble over the years for that very thing, for that very thing you're describing. Mm -hmm. And principally it was in education, higher education when I was teaching. And if you take the, a, a faculty job on its face, it's you follow this rubric, say these things to this many people, the check arrives twice a month. Mm -hmm. right. Okay. Right. Well, I never followed the rubric. Barely ever went to the you know this or that. I just got there and and engaged the class, and we started talking. Yeah. And and it evolved into stuff. And um, I was routinely dismissed by various universities because I wasn't you know yeah. singing the song, following the protocol. You know. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and I and I had recruiters, and then when I was a student, of course, same thing happened, and I was getting these incredibly high grades, mm -hmm. and the, but the administration kept throwing me out, and the recruiters to the next university would say, "How in the hell did you get thrown out of a university with a three point nine GPA?" Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. well, hey, Cal, you know, yeah, let me tell you, it ain't easy. <laughs> but, but you did it but but i did it and and uh and my students i've said this i guess in the last couple of days but my students saved me from myself because that made it all worthwhile mm -hmm. my students made it worthwhile i had people naming their children after me i had people opening up stores whatever it was mm -hmm. based on the relationship i had in the class and it wasn't about the rubric. It never was. I, I rejected it outright. And it sounds to me like you're doing the same thing. The the classical rubric of how you should do it is not where you belong. Mm -hmm. You belong where your heart is, where That's your head right. is, and where your talent is. 
That's where you belong. That's right. And anybody that interferes with that, they're just wrong. Mm -hmm. Just wrong. Let the person be the person. Mm -hmm. let, the, let the freedom flow. Let's work on the First Amendment, you know? Mm -hmm. Fine. Yeah. Because if it's working, why kill it? Mm -hmm. If it's working, why do you want to shoot it? You know, mm -hmm. that dog is running too fast. Shoot it. Whatever. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I just know that for me, you know, if if I don't love it, if it doesn't feel good to me, I'm not doing it. I'm just not going to do it. Refuse. And it's like, it doesn't matter what people expect or what I should be doing and, you know, what that industry demands. I don't care. I'm not in that industry. You're fired. <laughs> 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 yeah you're fired yeah yeah the one thing yeah. i do notice though is you know i if anything if any industry i'm in the industry of people you know and i sure. i i see what others see how you judge so quickly you you know mr mrs whoever it's like why are you judging so quickly that which you do not know and that yeah. too tells me you know what I mean? No, mm -mm. you're going to have to experience it from other, some other direction. Because, you know, the bottom line is if most people, if they see you, you're no different than anybody else. You're a man or a woman. We got that down. You know, you're, you know, you're bright and happy, or maybe you're not, maybe you're a little bit more solemn. Okay. You got that check. You know, if I find out a little bit more about you, it's like, Oh, are you educated? No? All right. Well, what was your life path? Okay, that's fine. Are you married? Not married? Okay. Do you have kids? You know, it's the same checklist. It's like you know nothing. Nothing. And But by that checklist, they're missing out on a lot of stuff. And, you know, you can't, um, you, you can't educate people who think they already know. It's a waste of time. So, up line from those people then yeah are they restrained in their draft by the rubric that they're following because of the power above them the boss the administrator the provost the whatever that is defined their life for them and therefore they're mapping their life onto you and they may not like it themselves but maybe they're maybe it's fear uh i don't know i don't know about all that i just think that on its face, we the people believe that if I come in contact with you, I'm in contact with you. You're not a big deal. Because <laughs> 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 if you were a big deal, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like those people are untouchable. And, uh, and unfortunately... You're also treated that way. You know, and it's like, oh, that's too bad. So, for example, like with the book, I mean, there's plenty of people who, who you know, listen to us or who are getting to know us and all that stuff. But there's a lot of people who don't. Right. And somehow right. or another, they are going to come across us, you know, by somebody's, you know, by a friend or somebody. You know, they're going to hear about it somehow, some way. Somebody's going to recommend one of the books to them. 
And they're going to say, who is this? So we're unknown. Who is this? So now you're, you're trying to research. Who is this? But if you and I go out on the street and you meet somebody, it's like, you're no, no big deal. Because they don't know. <laughs> yes, okay. You know All what I'm right. saying? Unless your face is painted on the public platform over and over and over again, they won't know who you are from anybody else. You're just another person walking down the street. Okay, well, that's true, too. Obviously, you got to have your face everywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, let's take it back to Jesus. He didn't have that. Right? Well, he had a group of followers. I Yeah, okay, you're right. But I would say that because he had people following him around as he spoke, he became kind of like a, you know, a, a city park demonstration. Or what's that group of people doing over there? You know, it gets the attention of the of the centurions. Who is that guy anyway? But a lot of people you know, do that. What's he talking How about? does it, you know what I mean? I, he, yeah, he yeah, they do. You know, he doesn't have the media. He doesn't have the social media. He doesn't have the billboards. More importantly, he doesn't have permission from Herod the emperor. <laughs> Therefore, he's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean? It's like, well, how then? How did it happen? Well, I think it's the beginning of what we call organic growth today. It builds. People talk to people about things, and you want to hear this guy. You know? Okay, oh, so now, all right, organic so fast growth. forward, we know of him, and we know the stories, and we know people who talk about him. But do we know him? Now you're talking about who, any, anybody, him in the public square, or you no, talking about Jesus. God or Christ, Jesus specifically? Yeah. You know, now we're so far removed. If we didn't know him, now we're speculating if he ever existed. Is it a fable? What is it? What are we doing here? So many people are trying to debunk what actually happened. And then now, how do we even prove that it did? Well, first of all, your sentence is, is, you know, sets it up for what actually happened. Therefore, what you're saying is that it did happen. And I would be of the other school that says, I don't, you know, show me. Okay. Um, all right. So then there's two sides right there. And one of them is belief and the other one's disbelief. Well, maybe, well, okay. I can, right? can be that, you can be that. Simple. Circumspect, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> okay. And that's that's where we're at. Some people don't believe. If you don't believe, why would you ever put the teachings to the test? Well, yeah, that's an interesting problem, you know, because whenever I walk into a major cathedral, I start to cry. Um, I tear up. Hmm. I do it in, in wherever it is in the world. If I walk, if I walk in Fort Burnt, when I walked into Notre Dame, walked over to Joan of Arc or wherever it is, you know, I, I was looking through teary eyes. Mm -hmm. um, there's certain kinds of music that I can't get through without mm. without tearing up. Mm -hmm. So there's a frequency out there. And if God is part of that frequency, or if he is the frequency, or she, or if the, if the Holy Spirit is part of light. Let's say the Holy Spirit's light and frequency, and that's it. Let's forget about the white gown and the beard and all that bullshit. No, but wait a minute. Okay. That was the question I posed. Why? If we, if we don't believe, or we even question, we have a doubt that 
he actually existed, what would be our motivation to follow what he said? Well, first of all, not everybody's motivated to do that. Right. You know, I mean, in terms of, of the major religions, you know, it's, it's, we are, it's fractal fractures everywhere. Okay. So not everybody's followed the same path by any stretch. Okay. So now we fast forward to me. Some people are going to believe they're not going to believe. It's like, who is she? And those who know may have doubt. They might question the game. Who is she anyway to write that? It's just her opinion based on her experience, whatever, blah, blah. Okay. But they right. put it, but what is the motivation to put it to the test? Well, it's got to be curiosity. I mean, that's all we've got going for us as a species. So this is my experience so far with, uh, you know, people who are reading the book and I get the feedback. First of all, they're just like, holy cow, you know, just totally amazed, right? Okay, you're totally amazed. That's great. I love it. And then there's so much clarity. Okay, you have clarity now. Clarity on your relationships, the people that you, you know, engage with over the years, now, currently, your problems, whatever. But are you motivated to stick to it? Do you believe in what the promise is on the other side? How, where do you have well, to Well, are you, are you, you're just addressing the frailty of the human condition. You know, we're just, I mean, you're, you, you, you can't have an expectation that we're perfect creatures and then attack us because we're not. Pick a no, side. No. no, I'm not attacking at all. What I, I'm, I'm clearly just asking, what state of mind, where do you have to be in your life where you've got nowhere else to go but to surrender and say, okay, I'm going to do this? Oh, well, you know, I don't know. My first... My first, you know, image is a stoner hung over stoner in the gutter. Um, hmm. You know, see, that's where you've got. And that's why it's so different when, you know, when they talk about, you know, God will choose. No, the chosen ones are the ones who choose to follow. Those are the chosen ones. But who makes the choice? You do. The individual well, that gets does. back to free will. I mean, free will covers that. Now we're going to talk about free will again. No, no. But before we get to free will, we have to consider if it's up to me, will I choose? So now you're right. Free will. Either I'm going to follow or I'm not going to follow. But what state of mind, how much pain or baggage do I have to carry before I finally make the choice that I'm going to follow it this time around? Because it's always been the law. The law is to love. The fulfillment of the law is to love. That's it. And I simplified it. And this is what we need to do. How much pain do you have to be in before you actually commit? Maybe that's why students are always so attentive in prison. You know? Well, then maybe you I should go a there. Lot of pain. Why would you? Well, you, yeah. Wouldn't hurt. I mean, it's just another market. But it's certainly a place. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is interesting to go into prison. Um, it's pretty spooky. It, if you have any in, inclination toward crime, it'll cure you just walking in. 
Yeah. Boy. Boy, oh boy. I wouldn't have But do you see what I'm saying? That the whole idea is uh, denial. I'm not in that much pain. It's easier for me to dismiss what is in the book as being too much, too perfect. You're, you're just expecting too much. Nobody's like that. And dismiss it than to challenge yourself to say, you know what, I'm going to do this. Well, I, I hear I hear precisely what you're saying, but I, I, I would think that that's, I don't think they're, they take it that far to where they actually dissect the value of the book based on their current condition. I think it's almost automatic with those people that if their life is not in some kind of trouble, if they're not under pressure, if they're not whatever it is, whatever it is, unless they are just academically inclined, they won't do anything about anything until they're forced to do it. That's who we are. So, okay, let's take it off, off of this, you know, very heavy commitment to love. <laughs> it's so hard to love. Okay. What about diets? You know, it's like we want to lose weight, but hmm, later. Right now, I'm going to have the donut. Well, we're going out to dinner with friends. I'm going to have the chips and salsa and dessert. Well, and tomorrow and tomorrow. And, well, I did better. I mean, I got the salad. You see what I'm saying? The weakness of the commitment. If Which is most people. Which right. is most people. So if yeah. you're on your deathbed people, and the doctor is telling you, you have to stop smoking. And some people are like, mm-hmm. yeah, I can't do that. Um, yeah, I've always found that rather astounding. Um, but yes, it's true. Um, that wasn't my problem. I had enough of it. I just quit and walked away. But yes, I've, I have people I know very well that just simply can't walk away. Hmm. They simply can't stop. And It's and so empowering. Yeah, I think it is. I I didn't see it as being empowering. I was just plain scared, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I didn't do any mental exercise to figure out how I should become better. I just had the hell scared out of me several times, mm-hmm. um, in a variety of ways. And because I I equate it in the book to going into a flat spin as as a pilot because I flew a lot of airplanes, and, mm-hmm. and um, you know that's the last place you want to be in an airplane is in a flat spin. Sure. <laughs> You're not coming out of that. Yeah. So, and I was right there. Mm-hmm. I was right there. So I changed and I don't know why, but I just did. I just did. Mm-hmm. I just did. I mean, I had people encouraging me, telling me, John, if you don't change, you're going to die. Real simple. You're going to die. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's pretty dramatic. Right. Right. So I changed. Well, like for me, I just look at it and make a decision. And I, I just, there's nothing that will overpower me. I just make a decision. Don't you think you're unusual in that regard? I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of people in personal development and, you know, management and they write books and they, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who do the same thing. I'm just talking about me. You know, if I look at it and it's just like, you know what? I'm not eating that crap anymore. I'm just not going to do it. And it has nothing over me. Like, I remember when I was younger, I just love Snicker bars. I love Snickers. It's my favorite to have a frozen Snicker bar. And then, you know, when I started to, to understand the poison that was in these, the candy. Oh, don't tell me this. 
god. Another learning coming around. <laughs> okay, go on. <laughs> yeah, I I won't touch it. I, I, I won't touch it. I don't crave it. I look at it totally different. I see it as a poison wrapper. I, it, you know, it, it might as well just be rat poison. I don't, I just have zero inclination for a candy bar. Nothing. It means nothing to me. Any of it, any of this stuff at the um, checkout stand, you know, they're always enticing you with gum and candy and mints and this and that. Yeah, Chips and the impulse. any kind of junk they can put in you in the last ditch effort, right? And yeah. I just look at it and see the agenda. And I'm like, no, I'm not following, yeah. following for any of this. I think people who believe in you personally will probably, will probably hear those words subconsciously or consciously will hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Now, like, for example, it's like once you see it, you can't unsee it. You've heard right. that phrase before. Right. Okay. Now, I've just listened to you for, let's say, 45 seconds. Okay. Discuss a Snickers bar. I'm going to have a hell of a time picking up a Snickers bar. (laughs) (laughs) I've never had a problem picking up a Snickers bar. Never. Because they're so damn good. (laughs) Yeah. Same with Oreos. now, because of my respect for you, and because because of your background, because I know that you know what you're talking about, when I go to the store Mm -hmm. and look at the Snickers bar, I'm going to say, no, 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 no. Right. No, no. What would Marilee do? Let's not Mm -hmm. pick you up. That's for sure. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. I can do that without having any of the discipline that you're talking about because I just respect who you are. Yeah. What you're talking about is personal discipline where someone without your words have to generate the discipline to understand that that's the case. You know why? It's because it's not food. And I don't mean that, you know, it's poison and not food. What I'm saying is that it's me against the devil. I see Satan everywhere. And yeah, see, I don't, they, I don't have that problem at Safeway, but I mean that's fine. I do. I walk yeah. in, and that's all I see. Yeah. And I don't, I don't need to go there. I just don't need to go there. I'm not going to pay, you know, overpay for for poison that's literally meant to kill me. And I'm why? Because I'm so weak that I've got to have, you know, the junk, the chips, the candy, the puddings. The, I mean, you lose me right away. What do you know about Heineken Lager? Anything? Huntington, what is it? No, Heineken Lager. No, oh, beer. beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I. Yeah. if you read yeah. Outwitting the Devil, <laughs> right? So the devil is talking to Napoleon and, and basically saying, you know, that alcohol is one of the easiest ways to get people to do what I want. It's, it's just well, too you, easy. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. That makes mm-hmm. sense. I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah, it's like, where's your commitment now? You don't care. You're going to sleep around with people and you're going to blame it on the alcohol. You know, you'll overeat or you just get sloppy. You just do things that you just don't care about now because you had too much to drink. And now that's your crutch. Stop doing that. Where's your self-respect? Where is your self-love? Well, that's pretty interesting case. I mean, you know, how about just sitting down and having a beer watching television? I'm thinking more about the healthy, the health problem. Mm-hmm. But I guess it's mental health too, isn't it? It's just as well, mental health. Right, because why do you have to relax yeah. to a beer? What What is relaxing about that? It's the alcohol. 
somehow or another well, that alcohol yeah. or the cigarette or the joint or the whatever the hell people take it's uh -huh. the the understanding the psychological understanding is that it's going to chill me out I well, I it. did all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I did. I, well, I wasn't a stoner, but I did. I did all that stuff. I smoked and drank, um, and I, I, it, it was a social thing. I mean, I think I took my first drink when I was sixteen. Right, smoked a first social thing. When I was sixteen, mm -hmm. and I was. I remember I, I got a. I bought a pack of Viceroy's. My first cigarette was a Viceroy, and I was upstairs in the main house uh, on the second floor, and I opened up the window. I lit it up and I choked my way through it and blew the smoke out the window so no one would, you know, I mean, I thought no one would realize I was doing it. Um, but I never stopped smoking after that for 50 years. Wow. Wow, that's a long time. Oh, yeah. Right. It, you know, and it's, yeah. it's just literally the acceptance of our limiting belief. Like, for some reason, we think we people humanity it, it's like i'm just have a glass of wine when i get home i'm just gonna you know pour myself some wine it's a treat and uh relax and it's like why is that a treat you know that's poison right you know it's poison but well alcohol just across the board is poison right yeah. exactly yeah. you know how much your body yeah. has to go through to process all that stuff yeah it's it's interesting how the industry is made has been telling us for decades that it's uh, that wine, red wine is, is right. good, for good for your heart. You know? That's Nothing right. Nothing be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. Oh, and yet God. they've been selling us this bullshit for decades, including the medical profession, who just goes along with the crap. You know. You know, and that, it, that's all. That's all finally come to a stop. But but it sure was for a long time. Oh my gosh, you know, and and I know, and we can be influenced by. You know, obviously, these agendas to sell us that product. I remember yeah. thinking, all right, well, I will try. I will try to have a glass of red wine at night, you know, making dinner or whatever. God, I could not choke that thing down. I just, ugh, no. I don't like, I don't enjoy it at all. Well, the good news is I'm, I'm allergic to sulfites. So wine, wine made me Ill. Right, right. And I, I ended up, I literally went to the ER five times. Mm -hmm. as the result of drinking red wine until finally a doctor came in and said, the problem is the wine. Mm -hmm. And it's not that you're drunk. It's that you're allergic to sulfites. Right. Mm. And uh, yeah, that cost me a lot of money. Yeah. My son too. We talked about that. Wow. Yeah, my son, he figured that out. And even last night, you know, he went out to, to you know whatever for new year's and he comes back it's so funny oh gosh he meant to just lay down for a while and then he was out he was out all night <laughs> and then this you talking about peter yeah peter yeah yeah and, and then he woke up this morning he's like i had a headache he goes i didn't even drink <laughs> 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 oh and i just think that older we get it's just i don't know it's harder what well, doesn't get yeah, yeah yeah harder to take doesn't get better mm-mm so anyway, it's it's literally about, you know, questioning what we take for granted. Somebody says, you know, yeah, have a glass of wine every night. That's good for you. Good for your heart. Somebody goes, well, it's good for my heart. I'm just going to relax. I was like, no, it's not. Don't believe that crap. And find the, something uh, else. Somebody, somebody, some major research university someplace in the upper northeast 
did a study that said that that um, uh, that wine was good for for um, uh, post surgery people that have a stent in their heart or in their artery or whatever they where it goes. That wine, the beer, made it heal better. Did a better job of healing it. Beer. Hmm. I promptly bought a case of beer. Promptly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. This is now medicine. Thank God I finally got, you know, elevated away from that. I'm now drinking medicine. Well, mm-hmm. of course, you know, that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. I mean, everything, I mean, if you take our little simple examples down to the entire universe, that's how it goes around. Mm-hmm. We are all suffering from hyperbolic bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And then it becomes like, you know, I, I don't know, just, just ask yourself, why are you doing this? What is the purpose of this? Yeah. You know, really, because if it's always just to relax, just to relax, you you got other issues. If you can't of just course. relax, right? Why do you need a of substance course. to do that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's as obvious. It's so mm-hmm. obvious. But now, back to the original point about about love and about getting people to, you know, get rid of the pain mm-hmm. by simply, you know, the $25 idea, the $30 idea. You know? Right. You know, you want to go to a $6,000 rehab center, you know, I'll get you out of there for 25 bucks. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but they, <laughs> but if somehow or another it's perceived as hard. My friend Jim well, told me that too. He was like, yeah, but Marilee, it seems hard. And people don't like hard. That's why they'll have a glass of wine and sit down and say, okay, I'm going to relax now. Because reading the book and actually putting it into practice seems hard. That's why, you know, you, you, you want to relax on the couch and not just stretch a little bit. You know, tap your toes. You'll get the exact same effect. You'll be so relaxed and go right to sleep. How many people, though, don't you think that's very quite somehow a discipline? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why, you know, it, it doesn't take, I don't know, I uh, maybe I shouldn't say that, but it takes more discipline to go out there and challenge yourself, challenge yourself in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Now, in the process of let's say you're laying in bed in the morning and you know, because someone told you that if you just, if you do something as simple as take your feet and just work them back and forth, mm-hmm. just work them back and forth, mm-hmm. touch your toes, if you do something just that simple, right, it will be a, beginning an exercise plan, right? Mm-hmm. And you're laying in bed, okay? Mm-hmm. Now you have the option to do that. It's so incredibly simple. It's almost brainless. Right. Because you just have to have straight legs and move your feet. Yep. Okay? Yep. Why don't you do that then? Why doesn't a person do that? Belief. If it's that simple. Belief. It always comes down to belief. You don't believe that that is going to have any kind of major effect. So that's lack of education. That's lack of education. Right, exactly. Lack of education. So lack of it. So so it's so here we go. It's full circle then. Yep. The problem is education. Right. Once you're educated in whatever discipline it is, then you will believe it, or at least you'll practice it, or you'll trust it, or something. You'll understand the benefit. You'll understand it. Okay. 
Yeah, you'll understand the benefit of why it is that you're doing that. Why do you want to breathe deeply? Why do you want to meditate? Why do you want to tap your toes? Why? Well, people are like, I don't know. I don't want to do that. I'm going to go have a beer and sit down. Just leave me alone. <laughs> okay. okay. But, you know, it's hard. Yeah, it's- the, but the, the trade-off here, the trade-off, I think, is that there's a difference between life span and quality of life. Oh, right? absolutely. Mm-hmm. The extras, the people that do the extra stuff have a better quality of life, but they don't live longer. And the goal would be to live longer. And there's no statistics to demonstrate that tapping your toes extends your life. It gives you a better quality of life. So if you're not happy with your life, then you the quality of life issue doesn't really... Yeah, but that's, I mean, but that's the whole, I mean, the tapping the toes example. I mean, that's a whole body brain um, science that has been studied, you know, what it actually does. Well, I just, I'm just going to say exercise in general. People who yeah. exercise, run, whatever it is, don't live longer than people that don't. Well, you know, okay. They all I, die at the same rate. We all die at the same rate. Actually, we all die at the same rate. Yeah. So why the heck would you be running all the time? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> to me i i truly believe it's about vibration you know if you have a a clarity about you your cells are clean because you have a clear conscious you know what you're doing you're happy and joyful uh you live in gratitude you're naturally giving you know you go to bed with a smile on your face and you get up the same way you're going to live longer and you enjoy every minute of it well, enjoy every minute of it may give you the perception that you live longer because, of course, time is is a perception. We know that now, again, back to science, but we know that, that it's perceived time more than it is clock time. Uh, and if you're not in pain, then you um, then you I think you're probably doing better. You're certainly doing more. You got more to think about. But we do live longer more. because living longer is a perception. So if. Yeah. Right. So if we all lived to 90, okay, some people start dying at 50. So they're, they're on their way out and they don't have the quality of life. And other right. people live longer. They're still going to die at 90, but all the way up to, you know, 89 and a half or whatever, they're, they're bright and sharp and happy and they move, they love, they still eat what they, you know, what they enjoy and they taste it. You know, they're living. All right, that's a good argument. That's a good argument because I think that um, I'd be a good example of that, I think, to where I I lived in a state of anesthesia for, you know, 60 years. Um, because I couldn't stand my life. Yeah. I didn't know why. Mm-hmm. And then I changed. And I, I you know, it was... It was dramatic. My change was very dramatic in terms of just what I had to do to turn it around. Mm-hmm. But, and, uh, so yes, time. but the, but the good news is I didn't die when I was 65 either, 60, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I was on the way out. I could have, I was too sexy. We had already talked about that. So never mind. The point is, is that, is that, your example of okay, but they're dying at fifty because they're you know they've ruined their life already. They're done, and there's some of the ninety and so forth. But you can cure that because 
I became clinically interesting in the eyes of the medical people when I was like 60. They're saying, this guy's dying. Wait a minute. He's not. Uh-huh. Wait a minute. What is he doing? Uh-huh. Wait a minute. I became the I became the subject of clinical meetings in major hospitals when they said, what the fuck is this guy doing? He's supposed to be dead. Yeah. And I think it was attitude. I think it was all mental. I don't think I was... I wasn't pumping iron. I wasn't running around the block. Mm-hmm. I did some of that. You know, I swam and da 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 did stuff. But I mean, certainly not to the point where anybody's going to pin a medal on me. Mm-hmm. I just grabbed my head by the horns and said, "You're not. This is not you, pal. Yeah. Let's get this straight right now." Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's what you have to do. So it's interesting listening to this story and seeing it from not just. A listener or your friend but as a mother as a mom you know if I'm looking at you as my son I'm thinking oh my god I had 60 years of looking at my son going when are you going to wake up when are you going to change your life when are you going to stop stressing out you know 60 years is a long time yeah. and as a parent you're looking at your child at 20 years old 30 years old hoping that you know you wake up and Smell the roses. And you have no idea that you got another 30 years to go before that man finally wakes up. Holy shit. <sighs> That's rough on a parent. Yeah. <clears throat> well, yeah, I guess it is. I mean, I've, you know, I've, yep. Parenting is not easy. Yeah, but for the individual, the individual isn't thinking about their impact on their parent. It's just the individual living his life, his or her life, trying to figure it out, struggling their way through, you know, heartache after heartache after heartache. Yes, okay. And as a parent, but I mean, you're are just you absolving? So who's being absolved here? Is anybody? No, I, not, it's just life. It's just, you know, having uh, a change in perspective to give you greater understanding of the pain. You know, one, one of the great pains of being a parent is not being able to protect your child from all the pain they will endure just from the choices they make. And they make those choices based on ignorance and upbringing, conditioning, programming, you know, the fear of their parents, all kinds of stuff. And you can't, it's like they have to go through it. You know, and that's one of the things like, you know, um, when I was talking to Emma, we were having a discussion one day and I said, baby, just read the book. I wrote it for you. That's all I can do. How long did it take her to start? Or did she? Um, Oh, yeah. She's got the book with her. I mean, every time she goes to New York, whatever, she's there now. She's always got the book with her. And I can hear it in her speech pattern. When she talks to me, she'll refer like, um, like I told her, I said, babe, why do you have to travel now? It's not the best time to travel. Just, and she's like, mom, I choose to operate in faith. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> she's reading the book. <laughs> not only is she your daughter, she's smart. <laughs> and, yeah, right. So, you know, she knows that that's her armor. And I, there's nothing I can say. And I just, I said to her, me too, baby. Me too. 
Always really fun to have a gotcha by your kid. Yeah, good. Oh, I love it, though. It's like, bring it on, you know, be better than me. Study it, you know, and she's she's read over like the um, the rules and she's like, you know, I see myself in these things. Mom, I do all this. And I'm like, good for you, baby, because now you have clarity. And she and you like we always say, once you see it, you can't unsee it. You're going to recognize it everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And so for me, you know, how great to have my children just read the book and gain their their wisdom from me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's impressive. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, wow. So, uh in one, one, I wrote a book called After Your Children Die, which is because two of my boys died. Right. From varying, varying reasons. And, and um, uh, I spend, I have spent, I should say I don't spend, I have spent, and I still do from time to time, thinking about the, the afterlife. Mm-hmm. When you lose, losing a parent is kind of thing, but dying out of context is very right. unnerving. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. so it causes you to think about where they are, mm-hmm. what you've missed. You think about what you did together. What does that mean? Was there any, you know, what, what are the signs? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that causes you to, in my case, I wrote two books about it, actually. And I did a bunch of interviews. I already did a bunch of research. Mm-hmm. I, did, I, had the, I had the benefit of being a doctor. Therefore, I could go out and do research that made sense in the clinical sense and interview a whole bunch of people that experienced similar circumstances mm-hmm. uh, and uh, was looking for something other than Neil deGrasse Tyson, who just says, you you know, your body turns to nothing and there's no, no afterlife and that's the way it is. Why are we I listening to him? I have a hell of a time listening to him. Right. I mean, he is so secular, so anti, anti-spiritual. It's just staggering. Mm-hmm. I don't know how the Hayden Planetarium keeps him around, and then he's a popular social figure. But I just, I just can't get there from here. I cannot, I cannot, I don't want to, and I'm not bothered by it. I just believe it. I believe that there's more to it than ants and worms and beetles when I'm dead. You know. But I I'm agree gone. with you, and you know, I mean, not to discount everything that he does and whatnot. It's just for me. I always have to go back to, is this love or not love? And based on what you just shared, that's not love. It's not love. It just, it's just not, (laughs) you know, love is the energy field. We are love. We are that. And so. So we're placeholders here because we're more than that, both coming and going. Right. Their argument, their argument is that, well, did you ever think about where you were going before you got here? Or do you ever think about after you've left or whatever it is where there's a lot of after left stuff because I've interviewed those people. Mm-hmm. But I don't think those are valid. I don't think that's valid. Um, because there's, you know, they claim, they claim that your brain lives after you're dead. Mm-hmm. It, 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 sort of, it sort of hibernates. And there's some science. This is all science stuff. But, but the people that I interviewed about life after death or life after life, essentially, was that they were seeing, they were positioning themselves to be able to report information from another perspective that 
forced them to to be correct, I think. It forced, forced the conversation in their favor. And it happened over and over and over again, many times. You know, Tyson is a guy who steps up and says, well, why don't you put some cards on top of the lockers and have them report back to you what they say? Well, he thinks that's funny on stage, but that's absolutely going on all the time. Uh-huh. People do report what's been going on after they're declared dead. Uh-huh. After the sheets pulled over their head, after uh-huh. the doctor goes out and has a cigarette, and after the nurses start to sweep the floor, the people come back and describe exactly what was going on from another uh-huh. perspective. Uh-huh. And it happens just under 400 times a day in this country alone. Uh-huh. There's something to this. I'm not qualified to say what it is, but there's something to it. And, uh-huh. and I'm just a part of an interview process with many, many people. You know? Well, I, yeah, I, I feel that the more that we let go and understand that there's so much more going on than what we can see, that it's safe. Stop worrying so much. Stop pushing so much to, to be something and to do something. It's like, just be love. Relax. And, you know, start paying attention to the unseen. That's why you're so important. That's why you are personally so important. Hmm. Because you can make that pitch and make it stick. Hmm. You're believable. Uh, Because you believe it. You know it's true. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you're believable. Mm -hmm. And therefore, people want to do it in your name, in your honor. For themselves, but in your name. I hope so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's how I will be forever around stickers. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I just want people to live to their highest self, their highest good, meaning find yourself happy. Find yourself happy here now in this life, you know, and, and don't get too far out there to where you're, you're still not happy. You know, like you're searching so much, so much. It's like, nah, stop searching. Just be and watch what happens. Mm-hmm. It's phenomenal. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Good for it's like, you. Well, thank you. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. You are such an important person. Thank you. You are. Well. Um, but the clock is important too. We're over the hour. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Damn that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, our fun is over again. (laughs) Till next time. Another day. I love you. I love you. I'll see you. Bye. Bye.